In this episode, I'll continue the theme from the last episode, which was about the importance of knowing why you're doing an exercise. This time, we'll have more of a dressage kind of focus. So here we go, episode 181, Intention of the Exercise, part two. Hi, I'm Karen Rolfe, and welcome to Horse Training in Harmony. This podcast is about you making progress with your horse in a way that you both can love. It's about learning how to move and be in harmony. Because yes, you really can develop a horse to be both athletic and happy. When we show up as our best selves for our horses, our horses will show up for us. So let's get started. So in the last episode, I talked about the intention of the exercise and why it's important. And I used a really specific example from an actual lesson that I taught where the person's horse was a bit worried and then kind of hesitant to do what we were asking for around some obstacles. And we needed to be really clear about the intention of the exercise, which was that the horse actually became confident and more curious and felt like they um, wanted to do what we were asking more than us trying to get her body parts to go in a particular place. So the technique that I described was not for all training moments. It was just an example. And so in reading some of the comments um, on Facebook from my post about the podcast, I saw you know, at least one comment of someone sort of mentioning that, you know, if they had gone that slow and just waited and waited for the horse to try something, that their that their horse might have been confused because they didn't know what to do or even gotten bored. So this was, again, this is an example just to say, hey, we had this intention about doing this particular exercise and here's how having that intention was really important and how that drove uh, training decisions. So if you have a different horse (laughs) with a different intention, then the technique involved is going to be different. And that's kind of the whole point. So you want to give your horse uh, enough information that they start thinking and trying to do the thing that you're asking them to do. And you want to make that as clear as possible, but without doing it so much that you're actually doing it for them, you're controlling it, and they're not having to figure some things out. And as I mentioned in the last episode, if there's any anxiousness or fear, that always has to come first. And it's a good idea not to force things uh, with a fearful horse. So um, anyway, the example I gave in the last episode um, is not the only circumstance where using your intention matters. Um, it Having an intention for an exercise matters most of the time, maybe all of the time, uh, unless you're just out there going, let's let's let the horse offer whatever they want and let's just see what happens. I mean, that's, that's a valid moment to have um, as a training session. Uh, but anyway, so uh, 
in doing that last episode, I realized there were kind of two things going on. There was the actual exercise we were doing, which was a very particular exercise and describing the techniques of that. The main theme was how those techniques were driven by the intention of the exercise. So that's the bigger sort of point. Anyway, so I want to continue the same sort of discussion, but now we'll give you some other examples. So the example from last week was very, um, I'll say basic. I mean, it it requires a lot of mastery and finesse, but it was sort of a simple foundational kind of moment, you know, putting the foot in a rubber tub or being comfortable standing between two barrels. So um, something you can do on the ground, uh, fairly, found, like I said, foundational or basic. So today on this episode, I want to like spring, <laughs> spring forward a few moments and talk about the importance of the intention of the exercise in a much more dressage circumstance. So then you'll have two ends of the spectrum and hopefully that will give everybody enough that then you can kind of extrapolate out and fill in the middle to whatever your particular uh, situation is. So I've already written a blog on this uh, basic idea that we're going to talk about today. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. So after you listen, if you kind of want to be able to go back and have a a quick written reference, uh, you'll be able to to find that. All right, so let's get going. Okay, the key to getting the benefit out of a specific dressage exercise or movement is to know why you're doing it. And if you don't know what the point of the exercise is, you won't know what to feel for when you've done it successfully. You won't know what to feel for and you won't know when you've got it, you know, you've done it well enough. So training for quality of movement can be challenging to do by yourself. The question of, is this good enough, (laughs) can sort of play like a broken record in our minds, right? And because of the, I don't know, is this good enough, broken record, that can often cause us to repeat exercises over and over again known in the in the industry as drilling, which is usually not a great training exercise. Drilling just puts things into muscle memory. And if you're drilling because you think things aren't good enough, well, you're just practicing the muscle memory of not good enough. Or if they if it is good enough and you're drilling, it kind of gives the horse that feeling of hopelessness of like, well, I'm doing it and now I just have to do it again. So it's easy to think that if we do something just one more time, (laughs) maybe we'll suddenly know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether or not we like got it. But we actually might be focusing on things that aren't working and not noticing the things that are. Three problems that can arise when you don't know the purpose of the exercise you're doing are inadvertently correcting the horse for something, for doing something that you actually should be encouraging, or working too hard on the criteria but missing the essence of the movement, or missing long-term advantages and risking burnout. So when you really know what you're feeling for, you'll be able to feel the smaller but very real drops of progress that make the difference between developing your horse and just kind of moving around a lot. 
and lack of clarity about what the real point of an exercise is can cause riders to miss some really golden training moments. You know, before we achieve the whole picture, we have to settle for some parts and pieces, and the trick is to know which parts are the important parts. So let's look at some examples of each of those. So an example of a correction that might make things worse because you don't know the intention of the exercise. Um, Here's an example. So I have a favorite dressage exercise for creating more powerful trot lengthenings and extensions in sort of lower energy horses. And it's a pattern that builds up a horse's motivation to put in more effort and then really go for it across the diagonal in a way that they feel like, wow, this is easy. And often when doing the exercise, a horse might break into the canter. And if the rider thought that the exercise was to build a perfectly balanced trot lengthening, they might correct the horse when they feel like they start to get unbalanced or, you know, they break into the canter. So, you know, you're saying, go for it, go for it. And then the horse like, oops, but I broke into the canter. And then if you correct it, the horse is going to go, oh, I better not go for it. (laughs) Right? So it could end up causing the horse to feel criticized for trying to put in more effort. And then it'll make the horse more careful. And then, you know, they're more careful and more reserved. So they kind of hold themselves back the next time. And that's actually the opposite of the point of the exercise. So when I do this exercise, I call it the slingshot, um, I make sure that the student knows that the goal of the exercise, why they're doing the exercise, is to motivate the horse to put in more effort and have better impulsion, to be bold and just to go for it. So we want to praise increased effort no matter how it shows up. And then once the horse is really willing to go for it, then, you know, we go for it and then they, we turn across the diagonal and wow, there comes the really good lengthening, um, you know, because we have something we can work with. And then if the horse still is like, yes, I'm doing the pattern, I'm going for it, I go for my lengthening and then oops, sometimes I lose my balance. That's an easier problem to solve because now we have something to work with. We've got a bold horse who's going for it. And then we can practice um, rebalancing, strengthening. How do we ride the line and be able to, you know, perfect and increase the precision and get it, you know, super good. But if we don't know the intention of the, the exercise being bold horses that aren't afraid to go for it, Um, we can easily get exactly the opposite benefit. So as a teacher, um, I always have to make sure I I don't just say to the person, you go across here and you do this and then you do a transition there and then you go there. And this is an exercise to develop really good lengthenings or extensions. I say the purpose of this exercise is to, to create a really bold horse who's going for it. The side effect of that is we can end up with really good extensions, (laughs) if that makes sense. Okay, so next we'll look at um, an example of working too hard on the criteria, but missing the essence of the movement, or sometimes I call it missing the point. (laughs) So again, it's the same theme, it's a different version of missing the intention. So the point of a shoulder in 
is not just to see if you can get your horse into that position to make the judge happy, right? So there are some exercises and movements that you do in dressage that really the point is because it's cool and it's fancy and it's, (laughs) you know, you do it because it's a challenge, but there's some fundamental exercises that are kind of like Uh, gymnastic medicine. There's a reason why you do it. You do it in order to develop other good stuff. And shoulder in is one of those. That's why I love to use this as an example. So the point of a shoulder in is not just to see if you can do it. The purpose of a shoulder in is to create more engagement on the inside hind, sort of naturally will happen um, when you get the positioning just right. It helps reinforce the bend. It's a great exercise to help create more bend. And it can lighten and free the shoulders because now with that engaged hind end and the shoulders are positioned so they're moving slightly laterally, that can be very freeing um, for the shoulders. So you can put your horse's body in technically the shape of a shoulder in and meet the criteria for what a shoulder in should look like You can do that for miles and never get the same benefit as doing only a few strides of a shoulder in where you're actively feeling those very specific qualities that make the essence of a shoulder in. So when I think of criteria versus essence, it's it's really important to know the difference. So every movement or dressage exercise has its criteria and has its essence. And I know I've talked about this before on other podcast episodes, I'm sure. But the criteria is basically what makes it recognizable. You see someone riding, you're like, oh, they're doing a shoulder in. I can recognize it, right? So it's kind of like the roadmap of the exercise or the description of where the body part should be. And If enough of the criteria are there, then everybody can identify it and point to it and go, look, that's a shoulder in, that's a half pass, that's a simple change, right? A simple change is a canter, walk a few strides, canter on the other lead. Now, the essence of the movement speaks to the purpose or the quality of it. So the essence of a simple change is the balance and engagement and the clarity of the gates and the transitions, right? You, It's not about like I crash, I'm cantering and I crash into a walk, walk around for a couple laps and then I, you know, jab my horse and he leaps into the canter. All right, you got to the other lead, <laughs> you walked in between, but you didn't demonstrate the essence, right? So um, when the essence is of high quality, even an uneducated person might say, well, I don't know, I don't know what they just did, but that sure was beautiful, right? There's, that's the beauty of it. There's the gracefulness comes out or, you know, whatever is the essence. It's what's like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's nice to watch. Instead of just going, no, oh, look, they cantered and then they walked and then they cantered. (laughs) So essence and criteria definitely work together. And in the best cases, they help each other. In real life moments, if you can't have both, you may have to prioritize one over the other. Now, in a competition, 
you often have to choose getting the criteria done, even if you lose some of the quality and the essence, because if (laughs) the criteria isn't met, then you're not doing the movement, right? And it's kind of like cheating to not do the movement in order to keep everything flowing, right? So you've got to actually perform the movement. In training, however, it's sometimes preferable to allow some wiggle room on the criteria in order to get the ensis, the essence. Now, um, you know, none of this will make sense unless you take the time to really know in your mind what the criteria and essence are for doing for any of the exercises that you're actually doing. So where do you learn about criteria and essence? Hopefully you're going to find a teacher who will explain movements and exercises in terms of what is supposed to be accomplished, what makes it recognizable as you're doing the exercise, and then they'll also describe why and how. And make sure you as a student ask questions if you're unsure. Now, the actual dressage tests, the score sheets for the dressage test will give you a lot of information. And if you look in the directives column, um, it'll mention qualities that the judge is looking for, right? You can also look up the dressage rule book and, um, oh gosh, where is it now? I don't know. The FEI keeps moving it around, but I think it's um, somewhere, I think it's under like helpful guidelines or something where they talk about the qualitative, um, the qualitative parts of the movements and exercise. So it's out there. You can find it, but if you're in lessons, like ask like, okay, what's it supposed to look like? And then you can say, what's the point? What am I feeling for? What should I be feeling for? Right? Because before we get it perfectly, we get pieces and parts. What's the important part? And often when I teach, I'll tell people that I'm like, Hey, you know, we're working on our canter walk canters, or or let's just keep it simple. We're working on our canter to walk. And with any particular horse, like that's a transition that often takes some time to build. So I might say the criteria is you're cantering, the canter gets shorter and higher, and then clearly transitions to the walk with no funny steps in between. So that's what we're looking for. That's a, um, an excellent <laughs> canter walk transition. But before we get that essence of the engagement and carrying and softly stepping down into the walk, we might have to choose. And with one horse, I might say, hey, just make sure you get to that walk that they don't go canter, pull you into the trot and plow around for a few strides and then walk. We want to be a little bit more abrupt or something like, hey, let's make sure it really, we get to that walk and they're really listening to your seat, even if you lose some throughness or some other qualities. Or I might say, hey, it's okay if they dribble a few steps and put a couple little trot steps in there as long as they're staying up and balanced and they're not throwing their weight forward. Right. So we'll feel for um, the essence or, you know, what qualities are we feeling for? And if you tell them like, hey, it's about carrying power, it's about being able to shorten that canter, then if your horse imperfectly starts doing something funny where they're like, oh, my gosh, they really lifted themselves up, even if something else wasn't 
wasn't perfect, you go, oh my gosh, look, they're trying, they're trying that now. <laughs> or if they, you know, stop plowing through at the trot and they fly like, wow, I felt my horse like dial themselves back and listen to my seat, even if it was a little bit abrupt. And now going back to uh, the shoulder in, because this is shoulder in is such a valuable exercise. Uh, and it's something that often people do miles of without finding that essence. When you think about that you want to feel for the engagement and you want to feel for the bend and you want to feel the lightness in the shoulders, uh, that's and, and that's the essence of it. Then when I have students ride a shoulder in, like number one is can they manage to communicate to their horse that the body parts end up in a place where shoulder in is identifiable. The rider can tell me, to, you know, tell me when you're in the shoulder in and they go, okay, there. And then <laughs> I can confirm, yeah, that is a shoulder in that they can recognize it. They understand it. So we have the criteria. Then the next thing is to make sure they can get that criteria easily right? So they're not, they don't have both legs clamped on and both hands are doing something and they're fighting with their horse and they're managing to wrangle and hogtie their horse into a shoulder in. No, (laughs) the first order of business is to get to obtain the criteria with ease. And if they can achieve the criteria with ease, now they have a shoulder in-ish thing that they can do. And now we start talking about the essence really quickly because now it's like there's all these little dials you can turn and find a spot that's just right. And I'll I'll ask them, tell me when you feel that little extra push under your inside seat bone that is the inside hind leg engaging. And I might just ask them that question. Tell me, you know, play with your shoulder in and tell me when you can feel that inside hind leg or play with the shoulder in and tell me when it feels like your horse has the, has um, a smoother bend or tell me when you feel like there's a moment where the shoulders feel lighter and taller. And then when they're practiced, I can say, tell me when you feel all three of those things at the same time. So there's all these little micro adjustments that can be made within a a nice shoulder in that's being ridden with ease. Okay, there's your, in judging terms, there's your six. It's like, oh, nice. (laughs) Look at that. It's a shoulder in and they're not fighting each other. That's nice. That's a six. How are you going to get to the seven, eight, nine, ten is by knowing the essence So you can do it. So you feel that push of the inside hind under your seat. You feel that flexibility in the bend and you feel that the front end is lighter and freer. Okay. Now, long-term benefits. We want to be aware of the long-term goals and benefits of specific categories of exercises. So now we're zooming out a little bit away from the micro exercise or movement. And we're gonna think, okay, why are you doing shoulder in in the first place? Why are you doing circles? Why are you doing transitions as a category of exercises? And I know I've talked about this before on the podcast and in my book, but I think it's it's helpful to hear this again in this other context of the intention of the exercise. So flexibility exercises 
are those that involve bending and changing a bending and changing a direction and kind of mixing and matching changes a bend and changing direction and flexibility exercises when you do things where you're changing your bends and your directions and flowing from one bend to the other bend those are exercises that will in general as a category create suppleness now collectability exercises those are ones that involve transitions in and out of gates from one gate to another longer and shorter within a gate those will create greater carrying power and engagement and then lateral work shoulder in haunches in half pass anything where you're um, doing something sideways will and this is counterintuitive will help develop straightness right because if you have a crooked horse how are you going to get straight well you've got to move something a little sideways <laughs> to undo the crookedness and so um lateral work or mobility exercises because you're mobilizing either the front end or the back end off the line of travel those that will give you the tools to create straightness especially when practiced with that in mind so you're not doing if you have a horse that's clearly crooked on one side or um, weaker on one leg or stiffer on one side then you don't go out and do the same number of strides of each lateral position in each direction on each side you use it like medicine like a prescription to strengthen the the weaker leg to stretch the tight side and to change the alignment and reset where they think straight is but all of those categories of exercises like that all sounds really nice and makes sense but it will only the, everything I said is only true if you ride them looking for those qualities to be created I've seen people change directions a million times for years and their horse never gets more supple people can do a million transitions and their horse will never get more carrying power or engagement and I've seen people do lots of lateral work and their horse never becomes straighter so you have to know why you're doing the exercise so you know what to feel for so gymnastic development done well will help your horse feel more powerful stronger more supple and balanced over time and i've seen upper level dressage horses truly become proud of themselves and feel confident and keen way into their later years because you're developing these qualities you're not just using them and controlling them and moving their body parts around they're participating and they're getting the benefit of the exercises there's no benefit there's only wear and tear if you're just putting feet and body parts in a place where it makes the movement recognizable to a judge and then just try not to fight too much with them but if you're feeling for suppleness if you're feeling for balance if you're feeling for lightness and all the essences of why are you prescribing these gymnastic exercises it's a prescription to health then you'll get the benefit if you're only focused on getting from point a to point b and making your horse go in a particular shape you risk asking your horse to do a lifetime of hard work 
where there's almost no benefit to him and maybe there's a lot more harm. And that's when you and your horse can get burned out, start to lose motivation and injuries can happen. So you want to work at gymnastics so that they end up working for you. Lateral work isn't just something to make dressage tests harder. (laughs) So judges have something to judge. Lateral movements are a very precise way to develop things like straightness. And of course, they all dovetail, right? So lateral work is for straightness, but because it has bend, it also ties into suppleness. And if your horse is more engaged, then lateral work is going to be easier. And if you can strengthen the weak leg in lateral work, then they it's easier for them to carry themselves. So they all, it's not, we're not in Petri dishes, right? So this, everything you want to be training. So everything is helping everything. And you can feel for how increasing the essence of one type of movement is actually going to make it easier for you to do a different movement. And then, oh my gosh, and then that one's better. And because that one's better, it helps this other thing. So you don't want your practice to feel like it's you and your horse. Well, it's, you don't want to feel like it's you versus your horse and your horse versus the movements. This, you want to be in a place where it's all working together in a playful, creative way. And the hard part is simply most of the time for the riders to really understand why they're doing it and to understand those essences along the way. So you can not miss these little golden moments that happen. So many students enjoy riding lateral mo- movements that they do well. And, and, you know, you, you avoid the harder, the stiff side, right? It's like, Oh, I'm really good at shoulder and left. Let's just do that. <laughs> or, you know, you might get, be content just like struggling to hold it together. Right. It's like, okay, there's the, there's the place where I can keep my horse in the right shape and I'm just going to hold him there. I'm going to keep, keep that leg on. That's often said in lessons, keep your leg on. Don't let him put his haunches to the left. Right. So you're just practicing making the criteria happen. So again, you need to know the goal that the goal of lateral work is to over time, develop the horse to function more symmetrically. And that's when you can strategically and artfully practice lateral movements. And so you can, again, strengthen the weak legs, supple the stiff side, shift the center of gravity laterally and change their base of alignment. So tomorrow they're, they tend to be more aligned than they were before. And because of this crazy idea that balance feels good, it'll start to go in the system. They'll start to feel it too and they'll start to want to be there. So same thing with flexibility exercises. It's not just about getting a bend left (laughs) and then getting a bend right, right? It's if you know that the purpose of flexibility exercises such as serpentines is to improve suppleness, then you're gonna understand that the most important part of that serpentine is the ease with which the horse is able to change from one bend to the other without disrupting the smooth line that you're on. You can do a million figure eights and serpentines and achieve zero greater suppleness. 
if you don't focus on that crux few strides during the actual change of bend. Hey everyone, a quick message to let you know about a really exciting limited time opportunity for learning at no extra cost. So now you've heard me rave about the video classroom. It's my video training library, and it's where you go to see this podcast in action with videos on pretty much everything that I teach. But for May, June, and July, we are going to be doing extra monthly live Q&A calls and anyone who's in the classroom gets to attend at no extra cost. We've never offered this before, so it's a pretty cool opportunity. So this is such a great time to be able to speak with a real person, to get your questions answered, either about a particular video that you watched or a challenge that you're having with your horse. Now the video classroom, I think, is always the best deal. And for May, June, and July, it is going to be amazing. So go to dressagenaturally.net slash classroom and start your subscription today. There's always a one week free trial to check it out. Again, dressagenaturally.net slash classroom. Okay, now back to the pod. When you don't know the real purpose of an exercise, you can end up prioritizing the wrong things. And I often see riders uh, correcting an ultimately desirable behavior in order, to, in order to perfect something that's actually not as important or will be easy to correct later. And sometimes you want to accept what I call a mistake in the right direction. And I guess I kind of talked about this earlier with the exercise about developing lengthenings and sometimes they break into the canter, but if they're really going for it, that's a mistake in the right direction if you have a horse who has not been going for it. And, you know, if you you need to know the bigger picture of the intention, because if you don't, then you might handle that mistake in the right direction in a less than beneficial way. So um, more examples of this might be... Um, a rider who's been practicing serpentine, so we were just talking about serpentines, um, they might experience a moment of greater suppleness on maybe a formerly stiff horse, and he might start to feel a bit wiggly. And then because of the wiggliness, you know, sometimes they start drifting a little bit or getting a little, you know, quote unquote, unsteady. And at that moment, it might create a stage of less accuracy in the horse's line of direction. And if a rider overcorrects this or misinterprets it as like a lack of attention or a disobedience, (laughs) rather than due to more looseness and suppleness that they aren't used to riding, you know, then then the again, if the rider overcorrects or, you know, worse, punishes that um, lack of accuracy or wiggliness that's due to suppleness instead of just simply adapting and learning how to ride the more supple horse, (laughs) they could actually cause the horse to then brace and stiffen, which would cancel out the true benefit of the serpentine exercise that they've been sort of diligently doing. That makes sense. So can you picture that like a horse that's kind of 
um, a little bit blocky in their body and you're riding a three loop serpentine and your horses like that, it might be easy to actually hit the accurate markers in the dressage arena because they kind of just steer and they stay where they're pointed but maybe they don't have any bend. So you've been practicing bend and practicing bend and practicing bend and suppleness. And then one day you come out and they like, woo, they change their bend. But then now, because they used to kind of be leaning on the inside shoulder and now they're sort of freed up and they're bending and they drift a little to the outside and they hit the wall too soon. And if you come on and say, hey, you know, block that shoulder, and they go rigid, you know, you can picture that you just killed the suppleness. They finally let go because suppleness is a lot about relaxation and letting them go. And now they feel criticized. So they firm back up and they go, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and so you're, you're counteracting what you're really trying to do. So same way, you know, doing transitions, you can do a million transitions, um, and they could put your horse on the forehand, or you could do them with the intention of developing greater caring power and engagement. And like I said, if you have that benefit in mind, you're going to be able to tell when your horse improves. So for example, um, let's say your horse suddenly lifts and carries better into a canter depart. You, you want to be mindful enough to praise that effort, even if you picked up the wrong lead in that moment. And that's very, very common that you have a horse who kind of throws himself into the canter and then you diligently play with your preparation and oh my gosh he's really engaged um, at the walk and you he lifts himself in, up, up into the canter carrying much more than he usually does but because he's not so strong or maybe really got him straight like he's so engaged and straight that then he picks up the wrong lead that's that's very common because now they're so straight that instead of having to be like hooked in a, posi a certain position to be able to get the lead, now he's really in the middle. When you're really in the middle, the difference between right lead and left lead becomes smaller. It's a, it's just a hair, a, a tiny degree away. And it, it, you want it to be that way. I mean, how else later are you going to get to one tempies? right? So being in this place that's so in the middle and so engaged that they can more equally go to the right lead or the left lead in the big picture is a wonderful thing. And that would be huge progress. But imagine if you didn't know that and you didn't appreciate that when that horse who has not been carrying himself and has been kind of committed leaning over to one lead or the other, now he lifts up but gets the wrong lead, and so then you go back and you're like, no, not that. You know, you can imagine that situation where the horse is like, well, I'm never going to do that again. I don't want to make that mistake. So remember I said earlier, in, in the moment of the competition, sometimes you have to prioritize making sure you get the criteria. And even if you lose some of the essence, right? So in a, in a competition mode, Picking up the wrong lead is a worse mistake than um, is a worse mistake than you know picking up the correct lead but being flat. So wrong lead with a really beautiful engaged horse is going to get a lower score than the correct lead, kind of flat. 
right? So the difference between at least a five and a four, right? Insufficient versus sufficient. That's a pretty <laughs> important little edge there. So how you practice it in competition of like, listen, we just need to get that lead so we don't get the four. But how, you, if you don't want to do that in training, you want to take risks in training and go, hey, let's really get up and let's really get in the middle. And woo, if you lift yourself lightly into the canner, oops, you picked up the other lead. That's okay. Look how uphill you are, <laughs> right? So it's a totally different mindset and it's possible to train with one mindset and intention. And then when you go actually in the actual competition arena, then you have to practice that skill and go, okay, here's where we're going. But for today, I'm going to ride it this other way, hedge my bets and just make sure I get that criteria done. And bonus points, the whole goal of competition is you're meeting the criteria and getting all the bonus points and high qualities on the essence because that's the way you practice, right? So you want to make sure that you're not shutting down the real benefit. You want to reward the effort towards the qualities that you're aiming for and the little messes will be easier to clean up later. So when you ride based on benefits and intentions, a world of training possibilities open up for you. You're going to have better awareness of what types of exercises there are and what qualities they will develop in your horse. You're going to start to see the cause and effect of your training plans, and you're going to be able to become a more strategic. You're going to, <laughs> you're going to be able to become more strategic in choosing what exercises to do. You'll, so you'll be a more strategic planner. So a guideline <laughs> to sum up, understand the categories of exercises and what they aim to develop. Understand particular exercises in order to know whether they're appropriate or not for you and your horse and your immediate training goals. Learn the criteria of an exercise or a movement. That's the roadmap. That's what makes it recognizable. Once you're actually doing the exercise, make sure you can do it with ease. And then remember why you're doing it. Know the essence. What do you want to be feeling for? And what's the greater benefit? Always know what success is going to look like so you can reward your horse at the right time for the right thing. And ask questions. Your instructor should be there to help you. Let them know when you're experiencing confusion or lack of clarity. And when you train yourself to think this way, you can create your own patterns and exercises. And often through creativity and experimentation, or sometimes just dumb luck, <laughs> you know, you can stumble across a pattern that gets a great result with a particular horse that nobody even told you because you'll be thinking and feeling for it and you'll notice. You know, dressage is a science and it's also an art. So remember to think and to feel. And you and your horse will both enjoy learning dressage more when you're able to feel for the benefit of it. I hope this helps. If this episode resonates with you, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. Training horses is a long game. The more you listen, the more pieces of the puzzle you'll have. To see all your learning resources, visit dressagenaturally.net. 
That's where you'll find free videos, online courses, my book. You can sign up for my Wednesday Wisdom email or even book a private consult. Most of all, remember, you got this. Never underestimate the possibility for things to improve in ways you cannot yet imagine. Till next time, love your horse, move in harmony, and enjoy the process.